Awesome. Give Bruce and Stacy a hand. They'll be at the table to connect with you, so please uh, visit them after the service and make it a point to be here a week from Monday night. David, come on up. David's going to share a story of God's faithfulness this year. We've called the year of 52 stories every week. Uh, We have a different uh, story shared by somebody who attends the mill. Would you give David Shook a warm welcome? Good morning. So I am David Shook. Um, I've been attending the mill uh, off and on as I can for the last few years. I I love it here. I love this uh, this family. Um, this is a neat place. There's a lot of um, a lot of very loving things going on here, and it's uh, it's been a wonderful thing to be here with you. Um, uh, so so Zach asked me to. Uh, to share about uh, kind of the last few years of my life that he and I have spoken about, and um, I'm a I'm a crier, and also I have some laryngitis at the moment. So if I stop to cough or uh, if, if my eyes are leaking, please forgive me. <clears throat> so God is so good, Amen, uh, and He promises everyone uh, that if we seek Him. We will find him, and if we ask, we'll receive. And uh, I had a, uh, a very real, very powerful example of this a few years ago, and I'm I'm so thankful to him for it. Um, I got out of the army in uh, 2014 and um, had loads of student loan debt. I had been through uh, about eight years of college after high school, um, which is a whole other story, but um, I also had no idea how to turn any of that education into a a really meaningful career. I I tried before and after the Army to to no success. Um, um, And and at that time, I was also in the middle of uh, some very... um, some very selfish and, and kind of self-destructive uh, habits or addictions, you might call them, um, that I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about if you'd like to, because I, I, um, it's part of what I'm up here uh, to say to you is um, God has a way out of those things for you. Um, but those, those things were ruining my relationships with him and, and, and in particular with my wife. Um, and yet, uh, as is so often our human nature, I was still convinced I was doing pretty good. Um, so anyway, got out of the army in a couple years of, um, you know, really trying, working hard, and, and doing things my way, um, which led to a very unhappy uh, uh, job environment, uh, dwindling finances, and um, a very, very tense marriage. It was very kind of touch and go for a while. Um, and not to mention zero prayer in my life and zero scripture in my mind. Um, in the middle of all that, <clears throat> it seemed like just all of a sudden one day, God, God laid it on my mind and my heart that I'd never actually read 
all of his word. Um, I grew up in a church and knew quite a bit of scripture, but I'd never really been through the entire Bible, and that um, uh, all of a sudden seemed just very intriguing and very important to me, and I, I give him all credit for that because I'm, I'm not smart enough to come up with that on my own. So I kind of had one of those moments where I thought, you know, uh, are you going to do this or aren't you? Are you a Christian or aren't you? And if you are, maybe it's time to start looking like one. Maybe it's t- time to start acting like one. Maybe it's time to, to know uh, what it is to be a Christian, to, so to speak, kind of read your owner's manual, which is what his word is. And it's a big book, so I didn't know where to start. So I thought, well, my name's David. Why don't I start with King David and find out what his life was about? And one of the things that struck me about him was it, it mentions several times that he had a heart after God's heart, which uh, I did not really understand in, in many ways when I got started, but uh, that was kind of revealed to me. And the more I found out about his life and about his his heart, his mind, and, and his relationship with God, I... I started to actually pray for that. I very early in in reading uh, the Bible, he uh, God gave me this prayer. He I would say it before I'd start reading every time. I'd say, "Please keep me hungry for your word, and give me a heart after yours, like David had." <clears throat> uh, and as you might imagine, that's not a prayer that God would say no to. He wants us to be in His word, and He wants us to to be like Him. So. It was a it was a simple yes on his part when I asked for that. Uh, he kept me hungry, and I I did eventually over the next year and some months uh, read his entire word. It's um, I don't say that as a as a badge of honor by any means, but it I only pointed out to say that through that process uh, he showed me things about um, so many scriptures I even knew uh, that I had never never even dreamed were were kind of um, not hidden but uh, kind of embedded in those words it <clears throat> you get to know something at that level and it, it really reveals itself to you anyway um, and, and I think my main point is this um, <clears throat> that reading God's word as it says is really like looking into a mirror you can't really know who you are or who you're supposed to be, or who you are as his child, or even who he is, unless you get into his word, because it's all in there. Um, he, he really reveals himself. He really shows up when you dig into his word. Um, and when you do that, so I've, I've struggled over the years to think of an analogy for this, um, Getting a little bit of scripture at church once a week, or, or in my case, often less often than that, it is a good thing. But it's only going to kind of it's only going to kind of dust you with um, uh, how to say it. Um, it's only going to kind of lightly put that imprint of who you are and who he is on you. But when you get in there every day and you're reading and you're hungry for it and, and he can he can make that happen for you, um, it's more like, I, I like to think of how they make a license plate. They take that piece of metal and they, they, they put a, 
a form together that's got all the letters and the numbers, and then they, they pound that into that metal, and it's left with that imprint. And when you get into God's word like that, I told you I was a crier. It's not something that wipes off easy. It's not something you can brush off. It is, it's stamped into you. And later, when you run into the same old troubles, it's still there, and you still have those, um, you still have those scriptures in your mind and on your heart, and they will guide you through what it is you're going through. Um, so obviously, not everything's been easy or pleasant since since that experience. But I always had, I have always had since then that depth of understanding in his word that he showed me through that process to fall back on. I, when the world wants me to think this way, I think, but that's not good for me because God said this. And when I want to do this thing that the world says I'm entitled to do, I remember God's word tells me that that, that leads me down a very painful path because, um, it's again, it's stamped into me. God has been so good, even before all of this, but um, I just thank him so much for uh, for guiding me, especially, again, through his word, and, and since that, um, I, can't, uh, I can't tell you what a, a better father I've been to my kids, um, not in this amount of time. I can't, can't explain to you how I've learned to put my wife first, and and to uh, lead my family and, and uh, sacrifice for them um, because of what he's taught me. I'd, I'd be happy to talk all day about these with you sometime. But uh, So I'll leave you with this. Um, I, I pray that all of you here this morning who are his children um, would ask him for that hunger for his word. Um, I pray that those here this morning um, who don't know him yet uh, would would find the love and forgiveness that you need in his word because it's in there. And I, I pray just as he's begin, begun to reveal to me, uh, I, I pray that he'd pour out his unimaginable blessings on all of you. God bless. Thank you. Well, thank you, David. Love you, brother. Mean it. You're a blessing to this church family and a blessing to me, and I appreciate you having the courage to, to share. Well, good morning again, uh, the Mill Church family. We're studying a great book called Colossians, where the Apostle Paul, a former Christian persecutor and now follower of Jesus, uh, is writing a letter from prison to a newly formed church plant in the city of Colossae. And just to start out with kind of a random question, at least it would appear to be, how many of you are parents and grandparents? Parents or grandparents? Okay, so most of the room, how many of you remember telling kids, do this and don't do that? Do this and don't do that. You know, that was a stage of parenting, right? How many of you have advanced, I'm still in that stage, but how many of you have advanced to a level of parenting where you're not as much saying do this, don't do that as you are recognizing you only have fleeting time 
left with your kids. And so instead of saying, don't do this, don't do that, you're trying to teach them how to think and how to discern for themselves what to do, what to say. Okay, a few of you. Uh, I think in the book of Colossians, which is a letter that Paul is writing to this new church, I think he's almost conducting himself like a dad, like a mom. Uh, And he's teaching these new believers to think for themselves. And over the next two to three weeks, we're going to see the Apostle Paul talk about some counterfeits to Christianity and, um, and, and ones that they really need to be aware of. And he doesn't deal with people's names or the group names of various heresies. Um, you know as well as I do that heresies come and go, uh, cults come and go, group, groups come and go, individuals come and go. Rather, he's going to deal with ideologies. He's going to deal with, with ways of thought which repeat themselves over the course of history. They transcend, right, particular generations. So um, while these ways of thinking are at least 2,000 years old, Um, I would submit that they are as old as humankind and that they are absolutely dispositions of the human heart today in 2022. They are not outdated. They are not outmoded. They are still very much present in the world in which we live. And so I think they're very relevant. This is what Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through 17 says. If you're visiting, we just take a chunk of scripture in the book and we talk about it. That's what we do. So We've already worked through chapter 1, now we're in the middle of chapter 2, and if you come back in a month from now, we'll be in chapter 3. So we're just in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, I want to talk about today. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Eleanor Roosevelt actually said something quite similar. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Think about that. No one can make you feel inferior without you allowing them to make you feel inferior, right? The Apostle Paul says something similar. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In other words, it's in my control to determine whether or not someone's judgment affects me, that I internalize it, that I incorporate it, that I place value or merit on it. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Well, let's think about that for a minute, shall we? People will look down on your life. People say things to you that are not kind. People may judge you for your Christian convictions. People will say you shouldn't accept that. You shouldn't believe that. You shouldn't hold to that. You shouldn't assume that. You uh, should absolutely think this way. And the Apostle Paul is making the point that they're not the ones who are going to judge you in the end, so don't let them pass judgment on you. Jesus Christ is the one who's going to judge them to the end, so take Jesus' words to heart and not theirs. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath these are a shadow 
of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is saying this. There are certain things that are shadows and there are certain things that are substance. There are certain things that are shadows and there are other things that are substantive. Sometimes shadows are healthy. If we study a shadow, how many of you have noticed that if you study a shadow carefully enough, you can tell whose shadow is being casted? You can see glasses. You can see a hair, you know, hair parting in a certain way. You can see figure. You can tell a lot if you carefully study a shadow and if the sun on a nice day casts enough clarity in the shadow, a lot can be deduced by observing a shadow. But do we talk to the shadow? Do we love on the shadow? Do we hold the shadow's hand? Okay, we don't. The shadow's not substantive. The shadow's not the thing of substance. The thing of substance or the person of substance is the one that we love, the one that we spend time with, the ones that we're raising. So we don't have to, you know, think about kissing a shadow. We kiss our children on the heads or our spouse or significant other on the lips. And we don't worry about stepping on the shadow. We don't worry about harming the shadow in some way. We worry about harming the substantive matter, the subject. Paul is saying this. There are a lot of rules and regulations that are just shadows that are cascading off the person of Jesus Christ. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations, but once you find the real Jesus, the substance, and you're walking with the real Jesus, and you're talking to the real Jesus, and you're loving on the real Jesus, and being being adored by the real Jesus, and enjoying the companionship of the real Jesus, you'll realize and recognize that the shadows don't really matter all that much. How many of you have pictures on your desk at work of the shadows of people you love? Anybody here? No. That'd be silly. Yeah, but I bet the person is also in the picture, to be fair, Derek. So we don't cherish the shadows. We cherish the person. We don't cherish the rules and the regulations we cherish the person of Jesus the shadows aren't really a big deal it's the subjects or substance that we care about Paul is saying that when it comes to religion and spirituality people were getting in this young fledgling church people were getting hung up on the shadows instead of the substance of Jesus particularly when it came to food and particularly when it came to the calendar certain diets, and certain days. Central Wisconsin, I think you would agree, is fairly monolithic when it pertains to religious observances because most people who worship somewhere worship at a Christian church. 
It may be Presbyterian, it may be Catholic, it may be Lutheran, it may be Baptist, it may be Assemblies of God, but it'll be, generally speaking, a Christian church, not a synagogue, not a mosque, generally speaking. I'd imagine most of you have very few, if any, Orthodox Jewish or Muslim friends that you have over at your home on a regular basis, in large part just due to proximity. You don't have any of those people in your sphere of influence, in your network, where you work, in your extended family, etc. But if you did, if you did have Jewish friends and Muslim friends that you invited over from time to time, it would be a challenge feeding everybody. In the same way that it's a challenge when we host events at church, and we're glad to make them, but we make certain dietary you know, accommodations when people say, I'm allergic to this or that, um, it would be a challenge serving people of a different faith. Why? Because Jews eat a what's called a kosher diet. Now, that's relatively complicated, but you can Google it and learn what is kosher and what is not kosher. So Jews are going to eat a kosher diet. Muslims don't eat a lot of pork. They just don't. At some point, they nixed bacon, okay? And uh, I will tell you that if you have your average Packer fan over, um, they're going to eat all the pork that's left from having your Muslim friends over because the average Packer fan loves pork, okay? So different groups have different rules. That's the point that I'm getting at. If you're vegan, you have a different lifestyle than if you're vegetarian, pertaining at least to what you eat, right? So some of you don't drink alcohol. I have a close friend who doesn't drink alcohol. The average Wisconsinite, on the other hand, doesn't mind drinking alcohol, okay? Doesn't mind at all. Um, I saw a map of Wisconsin recently, that uh, of, of Wisconsin counties, that measured the drunkenness by county. Okay, you all know Wisconsin is the drunkest state in the union. So this map went into a little more detail, measuring drunkenness by county. And this is what I learned from looking at this map. The color green meant not drunk. The color yellow meant moderately drunk. And the color red meant really drunk. The whole entire state was what color do you think? Red. Except for one tiny sliver over by Appleton. And here's what the caption read. That's not a county, that's Lake Winnebago. Okay? So it was a big body of water. See, we all have these different opinions and perspectives about what we should eat and should drink and shouldn't eat and shouldn't drink. And then people can get all funny about their days, their diets, their days. Same way in 2022 as it was in the year 2000. There's festivals, there's holidays, there's high holy days, there's, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, no reason 
to celebrate a birthday. Because when you celebrate birthdays, apparently only godless people celebrated birthdays in the Bible, so they don't celebrate birthdays. If you don't want to be godless, then you don't celebrate a birthday according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I had a buddy in uh, elementary school who didn't want us to sing to him on his birthday. We tried. He shut it down. He was a Jehovah's Witness. And so, uh, how many of you like cake? Like cake? Okay, how many of you would say that pretty much rules out Jehovah's Witness for me? I mean, I'm not, I'm not interested. I like cake, right? I like having birthdays, okay? So um, if you're like, I like frosting too much to be a Jehovah's Witness, right? So the Puritans banned Christmas. For how many of you, you'd say, I can't be Puritan. I just love Christmas too much. The birth of Jesus means so much to me. I couldn't outlaw uh, Christmas. We just celebrated Easter last Sunday. Did you know that some Christians wonder if we should celebrate Easter because it comes out of a pagan Roman holiday, Easter? That's not to mention the philosophical question that we all deal with every single Easter. How did the bunny come out of the egg? Isn't that difficult? Do you wrestle with that like me? This is tough stuff. It's mystifying. And of course, there's Halloween. Many Christians argue we shouldn't celebrate that holiday because it's a dark holiday and it comes out of the feast of Samhain, this pagan, druid, Celtic, ancient festival. So we should avoid it. And then there are some cultural and periodic things that have nothing to do with diets and nothing to do with days. Uh, When my dad was young, he could not play pool, billiards, My dad could not go to the movie theater. My dad could not play playing cards because these things were thought to be the devil's activities. And different people have different opinions. And what always rings the bell, of course, in answering all these people's questions about what they should do and what they shouldn't do is something that we call legalism. Legalism always answers. It always rings the bell. So let me define legalism. Because that's what Paul is addressing in today's text. In a very simple formula, legalism is God's laws plus my laws. God's laws plus my laws equal legalism. Would you say that formula with me? God's laws plus my laws equals legalism. The attitude is this. God, you did a really good job of making some rules, but you missed a few, so I'm here to help. Okay? You're welcome, Lord. And it usually starts with a person who struggled with something. Let's say a guy struggled with alcohol, so he decides to stay away from situations where there is social pressure to drink. Is there any problem with that? Absolutely not. That's wonderful. I would encourage it. Bless it. It's awesome to have guardrails up. 
when you struggle with some kind of addiction, knowing where you're weak. Someone called me not too long ago and said, uh, if, if I thought, asked if I thought Covenant Eyes, which is a software to put on a iPad or a phone or a computer, is that a good guardrail to put up for internet content for the children in our home? Is that a good thing? I said, absolutely. I love Covenant Eyes. It's wonderful. But here's where it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem when the guy who's avoiding the social situations with the alcohol demands that other people adopt his rules. That's when it becomes problematic. When the parents who are homeschooling their kids, nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful choice as far as I'm concerned demand that others do the same, that's when legalism enters into the conversation. When a person starts imposing his own or her own conscience on other people, his or her own guardrails on everybody else, and of course, then there's judgment. There's judgment It's a word that Paul used this morning. There's judgment if you and your family don't agree with us that your kids should only watch G-rated movies before age 12. So you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. See, this is what we do to each other. This is all over social media. It's all over it. It's marked by it. It's full of it. Tell legalism starts. There's a real struggle. Someone puts up guardrails for themselves, and then they overstep their bounds and start imposing their own rules on everyone else and then judging those who don't agree with them. Let me give you some modern-day debates. What Bible translations should and shouldn't be used in the church? Do people fight about that? Well, they don't hear, but let me tell you, they do. They fight about that. Of course they do. These are God's translations, and these are Satan's translations. So you better pick one over here in this bucket. Do you have... Your own preferences, Pastor Zach? What about you? Um, Of course I do. I have my own Bible translation preferences, but I'm not going to share them with you because I don't want it on this particular morning to sound like a law. Because it's not. Well, what about politics? Some say if you're really a Christian, you'll vote Republican. And others say if you're really a Christian you'll vote Democrat. And still others say, no, if you're really a Christian, you'll be libertarian and you'll hate both of them. And everybody fights. Do I think you all have preferences? Of course I do. I know you do. But it's important not to let your preference become Prejudice, amen? 
You can articulate your opinion. You can even argue for a position, but be very careful that it doesn't cross over into imposing your opinion on somebody else and then judging them for it. What about you, Zach? Do you have political opinions, Pastor? To which I'd respond, I give my opinions for a living. This is what I do every Sunday. I read the scriptures and I tell you my opinion on what I believe the scripture is saying. But I don't think it's wise to hold my opinions so tightly that I kill Jesus when Jesus comes along because he chose to be homeschooled and I'm educating my kids at Stratford Elementary or because Jesus chose to limit his social media use and I don't or because Jesus didn't vote for my candidate of choice. You do understand, don't you, that the people who held the mock trial and begged for Jesus to be crucified and and Barabbas to be released, that they were religious. And devoutly so. They had God's rules, and then they had theirs. And they put them on the same pedestal. And here's the problem with legalism. It's absolutely birthed in fear. Oh no, that's trouble. That's danger. Quick, let's make a rule. And the longer you're in a group that makes rules, they make more rules and more rules. And then they make rules about the rules. And then they form rulemaking committees. And pretty soon you don't even need the Holy Spirit because you've got a rule to cover everything that the Holy Spirit might say. You don't even need the Word of God. After all, you've got church bylaws and there's 70 pages and they tell you how to handle all matters or you've got an employee handbook. You want to know another problem with judgmentalism? It produces uniformity. See, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of diversity. Different ages, different races, different ethnicities, different cultures, different nations. Heaven's going to look a lot more like your family than it is our church. One of the most excited, exciting things that I'm looking forward to about North Carolina in addition to being by my family, is not that, not that there's anything wrong with living where I've lived for 16 years here in central Wisconsin, but I'm just excited to see other skin colors, to be honest. I'm just excited to see a demographic that looks more like heaven. And to interact with all of those people. God is uninterested in uniformity. But you know what? 
there's still going to be unity around the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A legalist, a legalist can't distinguish between principles and methods. Legalist slams a Bible verse into everything, onto everything. And if you disagree, you're disagreeing with the Bible. Ignoring all of the other contextual verses that might form a different argument when considered. But they don't often distinguish between principles and methods. The Bible says, for example, worship the Lord. That is a principle. It is awesome. Does not say the number of songs. Does not say the keys that those songs are supposed to be sung in. Does not say what instruments should be chosen. Those are absolutely methods. The Bible tells us, educate your children. That's a principle. Wonderful principle. It does not, it's open-handed. Though, it doesn't say it needs to be homeschool, it needs to be public education, it needs to be a charter school, it needs to be an academy, etc. You are aware that Marilyn Manson went to a Christian school, right? So you give enough, you give enough rules to a child. You give enough rules to a child and in doing so, take away the power of the Holy Spirit to interact with their conscience. And when they get out of that rule-based environment, what do they do? They make up for lost time. The Bible tells us, uh, hey, here's another example. Pastor's kids. Do pastor's kids, let me ask you this question. Do, <laughs> I got four of them. But do pastor's kids generally have, pastor's kids, let me just go back to my generation, of the 70s, 80s, 90s, a good reputation? No, they don't. Do you know why? Because the parenting style of the 70s, 80s, and 90s was strict, tight, limiting, constricting, overbearing. What did we produce? We produced a bunch of crazies. I know because I'm one of them. Okay? So we've learned some things. We've learned the ministry isn't God. Family is important. It matters. The Bible tells us to be good citizens. Pray for governing officials. Does not tell us. Does not tell us what box to tick. We love to tell people what box to tick. legalist puts the principles and the methods in the same bowl of wax. You need God's word and you need a particular translation. You need a worship and song and it needs to be four hymns, stanzas one, two, and four, but skip three because that's usually the worst of the four. Also, we need to be clear on God's biblical principles and then leave freedom and flexibility and conscience to people guided by the Holy Spirit and wise counsel. That's the right plan. I'm convinced. Do I have my own methods? I'll conclude with this. Issues of conscience for me? Absolutely. I'll give you an example. I don't watch horror movies. It's just not my bag. I don't care for them. Generally, there's a ton of language. Generally, there's a ton of gore. Generally, there's sex. 
it's just not something that I think is a wise move for me. I watched a couple when I was a kid. I didn't particularly enjoy them. They gave me nightmares. I've seen real demonic manifestations in my life that are nothing to joke about. And so I don't think horror movies are particularly funny. I don't do that. Now, I could make a moral argument against horror movies and we could take a mill church vote on it and we could put it in our bylaws. But then we've got a whole list of problems, don't we? So is it wise to do that? No. Here's another one for you. Me personally, I don't gamble. I don't take non-discretionary or even discretionary income and go to the casino with it. I have bought maybe a handful of lottery tickets my whole life. But I have a friend that buys one every Friday, and he doesn't live paycheck to paycheck. It's truly discretionary income for him. He plays the lottery, he goes to the gas station, buys a ticket, and he can afford to do so, and it's kind of a fun thing for him. And he tells me that he's going to pay off the mill church when he wins. So that's kind of a cool thing. So do I stand in judgment over him because I'm not regularly going to the gas station? No. No. And he doesn't stand in judgment over me. It's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ has freedom. On disputable matters, we live according to our conscience. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are but a shadow of the real thing, Jesus Christ. He is the substance. He is why we're all in unity. Father, thank you today for the reason that we're all together. Leave all this other stuff aside. We're here because you've saved us. We love you. You're our treasure. You're our joy. We pray that you would fill Wisconsin homes with foster kids Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your word like David talked about today. And we pray that you would help us guard against legalism. In Jesus' name, amen.